HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative, a nonprofit with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Change menus, change lives. Learn more at chefscollaborative.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Well, hello. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We are coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, February 8th, 2017. This is the 132nd episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is an outstanding RD nutritionist and food media personality, and I will introduce her in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip, And then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to be persistent. Go after what you want, whether it's a job, relationship, or even point of view. And don't give up until you achieve your goal. Pitch what you believe in and do whatever it takes to make it a reality. But do be aware that there is a fine line between being determined and overly aggressive and annoying. Remember, you, however, remember, you can't get results unless you take action. So if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. That's my tip today. Now, I am thrilled and honored to have my guest here. It is Ellie Krieger. She is host and executive producer of the public television cooking series, Ellie's Real Good Food, who is well known as the host of Food Network's hit show, Healthy Appetite. Ellie, a registered dietitian, is the leading go-to nutritionist in the media today, helping people find the sweet spot between delicious and healthy. 
She is a New York Times bestselling James Beard Foundation and ISCP award-winning author of five cookbooks. Ellie is also a weekly columnist for The Washington Post and has been a columnist for Fine Cooking, Food Network Magazine, and USA Today. And I could go on and on. That's the short bio. <laughs> let's let's get to talking. So welcome. Thank you. And we can add this to my uh, my bio now too. Oh, so fant- happy to be here. Fantastic. I'd love to be in your bio. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm just thrilled to have you here. Your your whole career is so impressive. So I like to start out with with finding people, finding out from my guests how you got into the culinary industry. Yeah, you know, it's such a long road, right? And and I read somewhere, I think Marissa Mayer may have said this, that um, your career is not a ladder, it's a jungle gym. <laughs> oh, so okay. I, I love that, and I, I like definitely that. feel that that's true. But my culinary career, um, well, my, I like to sort of, I think this really nails me. My mother says that me becoming a nutritionist is like a pyromaniac becoming a firefighter. <laughs> so really, I've loved food from the very beginning. I've always been like eager to try foods. I've loved going to markets. I've loved, I grew up in New York City. So in Queens where there's just like every cultural, you know, influence of food. So I remember going to Greek church festivals and eating my first bonacopita. I remember, you know, going to Dominican restaurants and the whole family, you know, eating um, chicken and rice and beans. And so I've always loved and been tuned in, tuned into food. I was overweight child and really needed to, and it really struggled, struggled with my body image, struggled, struggled with all the things that happen when, you know, you, um, you get made fun of all of these right. things. So I wasn't, when I look back at pictures, I wasn't like obese or anything, but really didn't feel good about myself. But about in my teens, um, I started being really keyed into nutrition. So, and learned how to love food in a healthy way. So I think that's really the key for me. And it's really defined my, uh, my food philosophy in many ways to say, yes, you can love food. You don't have to see it as an enemy as many, I think, unfortunately, many nutritionists and health food gurus sort of create this, these walls where food is somehow your enemy or you have to be fear it on some level. So I've always found this way to love food in a healthy way. And then, um, I'm thrilled to be able to have made that my career. Um, my path there was um, I went and did an undergraduate degree in nutrition at Cornell and then wound up with my master's in nutrition education, Columbia. And, um, and yeah, I just, I, I'm doing exactly what I was hoping to do. You just glow. I I mean, it's, it's, I'm just watching you and, um, yeah, no, you, you do do that. And I know you're, you, you believe in, in delicious and healthy and don't, I, I, I know you've, you've talked with me before about, um, your usual sometimes and rarely, you want to you want to explain what yeah. that is because I think it's brilliant. Oh, thank you, and it's so funny because it's really quite simple, right? Right. So I think first of all, I think we're all often caught in this notion that food is either good or bad, and even those words around food are really interesting because it kind of sets it up as this almost moral decision that we're making. It's just food, right? <laughs> and so it's not good food or bad food. It's a sense of yes, certainly some foods are better for you than others, but I think. 
creating a world where, oh, I can never have this or never have that, unless there's a real medical reason right. not to, of course, um, I think is a real problem in our society. And when I was in private practice for many years, after I initially did my master's, I was not only writing and doing TV stuff, but also in private practice. And in this private practice, I really realized that people were very much struggling with this notion of good and bad and absolutes and extremes. And I found this, I created this tool, these lists of foods, usually, sometimes, and rarely. So there is no such thing as never. Mm -hmm. You can have anything. Right. You know, nothing is, is going to make or break. No one food, no one day is going to make or break your whole eating plan, right? And so the idea is that it's what you usually do that defines your well-being, that defines your whole diet overall. Um, and so then focusing on what is usually, right? So those are the foods you want to make the backbone of your eating, right? That's the food you want to make up the biggest part of your shopping cart. Fruits, vegetables, whole fruits, vegetables, healthy oils, um, Lean meats, um, right? Beans, nuts, seeds, uh, things like that, and then sometimes foods maybe a little bit less nutrient dense. Say, uh, maybe it's like white bread instead of whole grain bread, or uh, or maybe it's a little honey sweetener, so it doesn't have a huge nutritional power, but it's maybe better than a rarely, which would be white sugar. And so, getting to the rarelys, I think the rarelys is like these foods that very often nutritionists say um, no to completely, never. And that a lot of times chefs use with a heavy hand just to like, they almost rely on them, you know, as like a base for flavor. But um, there are so many other ways to get flavor that are better for you. But I think the idea that you can sprinkle these foods in, these rarely foods in, so butter, cheese, sugar even, oh my God, sugar, no! <laughs> right? It's like there's like panic around sugar lately. Um, but a little bit, a little bit in the context of the bigger picture that's really healthy, that's full of usuallys, is totally fine. And I think keeping that sense of flexibility really helps you eat well without going nuts, um, without sacrificing pure pleasure, um, and eat well for the long run, not just for a week here and there when you're quote unquote detoxing, which is, yeah, you know, ridiculous already. Stop, everybody, stop. <laughs> oh my God, I know so many people that did the did a few diets in January. I think the most popular one was the the thirty thirty whole whole oh whole thirty whole yeah. thirty yeah. Um, but yeah, I I think your your philosophy is. It's a realistic of a way that you can live your life, and and I don't know. Rather, I think people when they're when you're denied something, you you want it more. Oh, and, totally! You know. That forbidden fruit. Yeah. Like if, and different people are different. Okay, so not everyone responds to the same type of plan. But um, for me, if you told me I could never have chocolate cake again for the rest of my life, I would suddenly want it more than anything. Right. Really, if I have some now, I'm fine. You know, either way is no big deal. If you told me I could never have it, I would want nothing more. I would probably think about it 24-7. And so it makes, it creates this, like, wonder around it. Um, and and that's, it's, it's chocolate cake. You know, you can have some and then move on. Yeah. And then the goal is, too, when you're having something like that, it's so important to release yourself from any feelings of guilt or, again, moral judgment about it and just absolutely enjoy every moment of it. So it's sort of like, if you're gonna, you know, I read this, there was this book title. It was like, if you're going to eat at a, um, 
in front of the refrigerator, pull up a chair. <laughs> so it's sort of like, I don't believe in doing that, of course, you're eating in front of the refrigerator. It's funny. But it's the idea of like allowing yourself to take some and really be there for it, with it, <laughs> in a mindful way. Yeah, no, makes sense. So let's let's get into a little bit of of the background with the Food Network. Like, how did you get in? How did you how did you get on the Food Network and have this show and and that whole process? I mean, <laughs> I have no idea to be honest with you. <laughs> well, All knowing, right. <laughs> but no, knowing you and your personality and your charisma and everything and and your knowledge, like I could see why and how. But how? But how did but that work? How did it really? So come I have about? to say, it didn't just like fall in my lap, but for a, by a long stretch. So when so. I put myself through college by doing modeling and TV commercials. I was with Wilhelmina Models. It actually was funny because it was started off as a summer job. I really just needed to make some money to pay for school. And um, some friends in the fashion business told me, oh, you should try this. And wound up being this whole career that I had for like 15 years. Which it was is like, amazing. It was it was great because it, re- it paid for my college, my master's degree. It subsidized my private practice till I could get that off the ground. And really, I did modeling until I landed my first TV show, um, which I had a TV show, uh, a healthy living show prior to the Food Network show. Oh, okay. So, um, so yeah. So when I was doing my mass, I decided, well, I'll going to back up a second. When I was in college... My mom sends me, again, my mom, she comes up a lot when I talk about my career and stuff because she was incredible at helping me find my way. Um, she sent me this article of dietitians who work in the media. Now, I always felt like my, you know, I, I loved doing the on-camera work. I just really felt this connection. I always loved sort of the theater arts, and I was doing improvisational acting classes as an c- extracurricular in high school. I was always just sort of into that stuff. So get to college, and really, she sends me this, and I'm like, this is perfect. I want to do this. You know, I also love to write. So I wound up getting my master's from Teachers College Columbia, um, and they they let me minor in journalism. So I was able to take classes in the journalism school, take science writing, and they helped me secure internships at CNN, which had a nutrition news unit at the time, also at CBS in their health unit, um, the local CBS affiliate here. And so I got to see how the business works from that point of view. And when I got out of school, I realized I had to be my own publicist. (laughs) (laughs) So I really value the work you do because Uh it is hard you know oh thanks yeah and i well i find also it's i think it's hard to do your own pr yeah i th- oh, i think pr is is tricky in itself but like promoting yourself and getting it's 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 different. I don't it's know. A different it's different layer yeah, to say, oh my is. God, Shari's the best at this versus yeah. I'm the best at this. No, you know, it's, it's true. It's much easier to promote someone else that you believe in. But if you, if you believe in yourself, like as like you got it, you got to pitch yourself. Right. And I really more, I believed in myself, but also believed in the ideas that I was putting out there. Right. And I think believing in my message. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would just pitch ideas. And of course, and also for print pitch ideas to um, editors. And, you know, you just get a million no's. And when you talk about persistence in your tip, I mean, that's what it's all about, really. It was so much about persistence. And I called it planting seeds. In my own mind, this was a planting seeds. Like my job was to plant the seed, plant seed, which meant making the call, making the pitch. So not worrying about the rejection, not worrying about getting 
said no to again and again and again. But eventually one little seed plant sticks its little, you know, starts right. to grow a little. And then that's basically what happened because I got a few interviews set up on the Food Network at the time um, as an expert guest on one of these shows. And then I wound up uh, um, in the right person sort of um, contact list and someone who was looking for a producer who was looking for a, um, a host for a TV show who they wanted someone with credentials, with health credentials. Uh, I got recommended for that. That was my first show. It was Living Better with Ellie. And it was like a magazine-style show where we covered food and fitness and all kinds of lifestyle stuff. And it was like, you know, TV school for me, basically. It was amazing. Um, and then that lasted two years. And then I wrote my first book. And it was about four years before I had another television opportunity. I'd pitched the Food Network, several ideas. Nothing went anywhere. And then eventually I got this call on my answering machine, my home answering machine, from Bob Tushman's office mm. saying, we saw your book and we think you have a great philosophy. We'd love to meet you. And so I came in and literally like one year, I said, I thought I was being punked, by the way, I mean, <laughs> the most random thing. But um, they got my number from my publisher and that's how they found me from seeing that first book. And that in that book is where I laid, laid out the usually sometimes and rarely list. So... Oh, it's a great, it's a yeah. great story. So it was a lot of work that went into getting mm -hmm. to that point, you know, and, and luck, right? But yeah, I, I really believe in the quote that luck is where opportunity and preparation meet because I had this luck or I had this opportunity, but I was ready for it, you know. That's another really good one. It's a gem. <laughs> and you're, and by the way, I was listening when you're speaking and I'm thinking, you're a great publicist. Like you got it down. Like you, and being persistent. Obviously, not obviously. Well, my tip a lot of times comes from my guests, and I'm at 132 episodes, and I keep coming up with tips. <laughs> but I thought I knew that one would fit with you because I think of you that way as someone like you've been persistent in in getting taking action and and making things happen in your career. And so I think it's 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 awesome. Yeah, and just that tenacity. But I think there's something to it also. Persistent but flexible. Does that make sense yeah. to you? Because I feel like, okay, you've got to keep your ears open. You know, what's resonating? What's falling flat continually? Mm -hmm. Is there something I could do to change this or change what's happening in a way that's still true to my vision, but that's going to resonate better? And I think that sense of really listening while you're persisting <laughs> is important. Great point. <laughs> okay, so we're going to take a little break, and then we're going to come back and talk some more with Ellie. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. This program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative, a national nonprofit network with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Chefs Collaborative members work to make sustainable practices second nature for every chef in the United States. Chefs Collaborative was founded in 1993 by visionary chefs including Rick Bayless and Alice Waters who acknowledge the influential role of food professionals on our food choices, our collective personal health, the vitality of cultures, and the integrity of the global environment. Chefs Collaborative believes that the greater culinary community can be a catalyst for positive change by expanding the market for good food and helping to preserve local farming and fishing communities. Change menus, change lives. 
Learn more about Chef's Collaborative at chefscollaborative.org. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Ellie Krieger. She's a RD nutritionist, cookbook author, TV personality, and much, much more. So you've written how many books now? Five, six? So five books, but I did a revision of that first book, Small Changes, Big Results. So if you count that, it's six. But without the revision, it's five. <laughs> so what's what's the process of writing writing these books? Are you doing all the recipe testing yourself? You have team. Yeah. How do you so, come up with all these amazing recipes? <laughs> so um, most of the recipes in my in my repertoire, I test myself like on the on a day to day basis. I for my Washington Post column, which is weekly, I test all the recipes myself. I mean, I have some help in the kitchen, but I like to do it myself for the books. You know, I have to do 150 recipes in a relatively short amount of time. And so I get a team together and I love working with, you know, great pros. And one of the key recipe developers that I've worked with, Adina Sussman, yes. I have to give a shout out because she just got nominated for a IACP award with uh, Lee Schrager, Lee Schrager yes. for their book on breakfast. So I'm so she's so amazing. She's such an amazing talent. And we become such good friends. So I feel fortunate to have be able to be able to have worked with a small team of people that helped me with some recipe development when I need it, really. But the but I still do most of it myself. And frankly, um, even with the recipes I, that others help me with, I feel very hands on with in terms of that process. So yes. I feel like it has to be, you know, genuine and come from my heart. Um, I'm not just going to put out there. Oh, yeah. You know. No, and I'm so glad you gave them a shout out because Lee and Adina came on my show a while ago now for the fried chicken book. So it's very kudos to Oh, I have a recipe in there, by the way. It's it's oven fried chicken, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Where healthy meats delicious. Exactly. (laughs) So let's talk about... Ellie's Real Good Food, because you did a Kickstarter campaign. Was that last year? And was that... Yeah, I, I don't remember. I don't know. So my path some is point. a big blur. Like, okay. you know, when you see those those shots in movies where just right. the trains going by, like that's what... At so some, it was, I think, two the, years ago. Okay, okay. Previously. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Prior to this moment. You did a Kickstarter campaign. So so why did you decide to do it, and what was, what was that experience like? Wow, yeah, so... Um, public television for the public television show, you know, you have to raise the funding yourself for the show and public television distributes it. But the, whoever's producing the show needs, who is me and my, um, team, Flutie entertainment were co-producers of it. Um, we have to raise the money. And so, um, it's, you know, and that's a whole other thing to do besides cooking and being a nutrition. I mean, and even, even, no, it's a whole other realm really. exactly yeah um so as we were getting some funding in we realized we really needed to really tap all our resources and so much of i think public television is the support it, the public television belongs to the public and so i think in true public television form to use this new medium of kickstarter of the internet to reach people that care about good food that want good not only entertaining, but also educational, enlightening uh, programming um, to say, hey, you know, you can essentially help make this happen. And we really did need the money in order to get the pilot off the ground. So uh, that's what the Kickstarter wound up paying for the whole pilot. 
And now we're in, and the whole first season was great. It wound up in 85% of the U.S., of U.S. households in around the country. And uh, really well received. And now we're heading into season two. So it was really because of you guys. You're the listeners, essentially. There may be some of my Kickstarter contributors listening in today. I was one. Yay, you are. <laughs> yes, thank you. It's because of you that this oh, show was my there. pleasure. I mean, it really made a difference to launch this. And mm-hmm. I think the whole Kickstarter thing was... A fascinating experience, and I'll tell you what, it's a lot of work. You can't just say, oh, I'm just going to throw this, you know, video up on Kickstarter, and this is going to make me, you know, $40,000. It doesn't work like that. You really have to put a lot of effort into what is your pit, you know, explaining Mm -hmm. clearly and enticingly what your project's about, um, promoting it, and then also uh, promoting the Kickstarter campaign to, uh, you know, everyone that you can, and also, you know, the prizes, because you right. give for each level of co- contribution, you give out prizes. So, oh my gosh, this is uh, this is how glamorous my life is. Can I tell you? I wound up with me and my assistant and my husband. It was right before Christmas that we were packaging all these prizes. So one of the gifts was a book and a granola and a tote bag, and we were like, we had all these masses, hundreds of envelopes filled with the goodies that now we had to literally physically bring to the post office right before Christmas. And they at the post office had to scan them one by one. Uh, and it, we were there for like, we would take turns because in New York, you know, the post office is not really an easy trip to make, right? So you don't have no. a car that you're driving there. I would have a backpack on my front, a backpack on my back. I felt like I Love Lucy. And a, <laughs> a cart, a little cart filled with these packages. And I'd sort of waddle into the post office and everyone would give me dirty looks um, because, of course, now I'm going to take two hours <laughs> with the person. But... Um, we got them out and we took turns and we did it, but that's sometimes how glamorous. I mean, it was really uh, a lot of work in that regard. Not to mention that yeah. was not even including, you know, getting the granola made and so on. So no, a lot of work, but it worked and it got yep. you know it got you your show. Yep, and, and and it was worth it. And I and every time you know I'd be like, oh my gosh, I have to send out another package. But the reality is that each one of those package packages were representing a human being who gave their hard-earned money for this project that they cared about and that's an incredibly inspiring thing yeah no it's it's great i'm wondering how you balance it all i mean cookbooks tv you i mean you write a column weekly column i mean you're doing a lot and that's not even and then also i saw on your website about classes you teach yeah so that's a oh i love this it's craftsy it's my online cooking class so i filmed the classes okay and the whole craftsy platform is amazing you should probably interview the people from there it's really cool okay. they have a lot of different classes in cooking baking they won a james beard award one year for their indian curries class for example cool but my class it. it's great my class on the there um, is all he- about healthy eating, basic, essentially healthy eating basics with with a lot of my um, a lot of my like uh, tips and stuff mm-hmm. that is included in the class materials and strategies. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I don't teach that all the time. For example, okay, um, we shoot them ahead of time and then. But I'm online communicating with the students all the time. So uh, that's part of it is that I get to you know answer questions and get feedback and stuff like that. Yeah, so is I'm imagining for me every day is is different of my, of my schedule and I'm juggling everything I'm doing. But is is that do you have a routine at all, or are you just? I mean, how are you 
is there a certain day you write your columns or is it how are you are you managing it yeah i i don't know help no <laughs> no i feel I'm like you, no you do you're you're incredible and oh, i feel thanks. you you every time i see you you just seem at ease and like you're just you know i try to be present wherever mm-hmm. i am so that helps um i do sometimes like it gets to be too much sometimes. And then I really check in and I say, like, what do I need to say no to? What do I need to get extra help with? So I really try to check in. And I know I start to feel like almost the sense of overwhelmed. I really try to check in and change things to make it so that I can manage. Um, and I do feel like it's mostly manageable. Um, I'm really efficient. So I, I do schedule things. and But I don't spend a lot of time, I don't know fishing around on the internet or I I am really efficient. Like, um, I I have short phone calls during the day (laughs) (laughs) as much as possible, but yeah, it gets to be a lot and sometimes more than others. And, um, but I do feel like I'm able to maintain balance. Sometimes I work too much. Like last year, I think I didn't, I worked probably like 12 weekends in a row or something. It's a little too much, but I know that at least that's temporary because it's sort of project oriented. Like when I'm done, shoot the, we'll shoot the show in like a two or three week period. And then I'm done with that. And then I can move on to the next thing. So it's just kind of project-oriented that way. And, um, and yeah, it's really about checking in for me and figuring out what my priorities are. Like every day I do a little triage, like what totally needs to get done today. And then what's interesting about that, and I don't know if this, how you feel about that, is exercise. Because I think for me, especially as a healthy person, like I say to myself, oh, I can't afford the time to exercise today or this week. Or, and then I say, Ellie, you can't afford not to. And when you take like a broader mm-hmm. view of everything, it's like, honestly, I'm finding, I'm scheduling this in, even if something else has to give. So it is really, I think, about setting priorities, not only for the short term, but a little bit longer term priorities too. Yeah, no, I agree with all that. Um, cool. Let me, <laughs> let me ask yeah, you. Yeah, cool. No, I'm just, no, it's just well said. I, I, I agree. <laughs> okay, two questions I, I received from my guest last week. I had on Melanie Dunay. She's an independent photographer and author, and she's, she's photographed uh, some of the most renowned chefs and celebrities um, out there. And so first question. Do you eat raw cookie dough? Ah, no, goodness, no. <laughs> really? <laughs> it's Russian roulette. Wait, 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 wait. Would that be a never? That, oh, well, no. Okay, so that's sort of like saying, is Russian, oh, I like to play all sorts of games. Is Russian roulette a never? Yeah, kind of. Okay. I would say that would be raw cookie dough, yeah. If it was pasteurized eggs, I would I would eat it. It wouldn't be my favorite. I wouldn't yeah. even really crave that because it's not my thing. I'd rather cook the cookies. I love cookies, but I like them yeah, warm. Okay, <laughs> but um, it's just not safe. I mean, you could get really, really sick. You yeah. could totally get salmonella from doing that. To me, it's sort of like: is it a never to eat poison? Yeah, some probable poison or likely, and you're not going to autumn. You don't. You won't get sick every time you might not get sick one out a hundred after a hundred times but you only need once to get really sick so it's not worth it yeah no i hear you and actually there's a place i haven't been yet it just opened i think last week it's called doe i saw that in the west village and it's it's a it's a a raw cookie dough place (laughs) but not like i don't know however they're doing the pasteurized eggs or i don't know they probably do yeah. yeah you can do pasteurized eggs if it had that i would totally eat it but it wouldn't be my thing right i would rather have a warm cookie okay okay her other question question. yeah no her question she had another 
I don't know. I don't know that if it's funny, but it's an interesting question. She wants to know. She wanted to know what do you force yourself to eat every day, meaning if there's something healthful or for wellness that you eat. And she said she has a spoonful of honey every day. Oh wow! And I I don't force myself to eat anything. Yeah, to I don't me, either. food and pleasure are one and the same. And there are so many healthful foods, amazingly fortifying. Um, healthful foods that are also delicious. So there's absolutely no need to force yourself, force yourself to chug any wheatgrass juice or anything. There's like plenty of wonderful foods to eat. So yeah, I don't, it's interesting because it's sort of almost like a punishing notion of eating well, which I don't believe in. Yeah. Well, the way she framed the question sounded that way a little bit, I think. Um, But I guess I was then thinking it's sort of like if you take vitamins every day, maybe you just add it. You know, you take a spoonful of honey every day. Yeah, is something but why? Less, why not you know? put a hun- spoonful of honey in your smoothie? or Right. That sounds <laughs> yummy. <laughs> Always coming up with good ideas. <laughs> a new, new recipe in your book. It's probably in the book. Um, okay, so we're going to take another break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to play my speed round game and talk some industry news. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Ellie Krieger. It's time for my speed round game. Uh-oh, I'm scared. Oh, no, you're <laughs> going to be great at this. So what it is is I name a couple of things, and you just pick your preference. It's like either or. Right. Okay. Like okay. I said, I'm scared. Okay. Don't, <laughs> we'll, we'll, get we'll, you, we'll get you through it. Can I say both? No. Okay, let's There are no rules. Okay, No go. rules. All right, good. Okay. Go. <laughs> go. Eat in or eat out. Oh. See? Both. <laughs> eat in four days a week, eat out three days a week. Oh, my God. You have a... See? You, you know what you like. How about wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Wine. That's easy. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Tasting menu. I just, I just did the tasting menu at Agurn. Oh, I've done oh that one. Oh, my gosh. It was wonderful. So sometimes if I mm-hmm. want to get like a whole perspective, really, on the whole cuisine... But for the most part, it's in general, I feel tasting menus are like so long and fussy. I'd rather just order. Off yeah, the I, I, I agree. I think sometimes there's a good place for it. And but all the time, I, I think it could be a little much. Yeah. <laughs> How about communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Tipping or all inclusive charge? Oh, boy. Um, all inclusive charge. Okay. Hmm. It's a good one. I mean, it's hard. It's interesting. I the the whole movement toward this here. I find it on some level a relief, but then you really have to trust the management. Because yeah. sometimes when things are included, I, I worry <laughs> <laughs> that, well, that yeah. the workers aren't really getting it. Well, 
Yeah, I don't know. That's been a that's that's probably my 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 most interesting one on here. I don't in a sense and it's since I started doing the show answers, you know, people like talking talking it's been a talking point. It's been a part of industry news. So, um yeah. it's interesting to see. What do you think the consensus is? Is there consensus? At the beginning it was always tipping. I think the first like 50 shows I did it was it was 9 out of 10 tipping and then it kind of started to change as the topic started to change and, and Danny Meyer, you know, it took, you know, started taking no tipping out and changing. I don't know every it's, it's, it's a talking point. So, um, but it has, I think it has changed and there's been more all inclusive answers as the show has gone on, Hmm. which is interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. The tide might be turning. Do a whole study on this in my spare time. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You can get on that. (laughs) Okay. So a couple more. How about cooking at home or cooking on TV? Oh, cooking at home. Not even a contest. (laughs) I mean, I love cooking on TV. I don't know how much time we have to like chat about these in between. It's a speed round, but I love cooking on television, but there's nothing more warm and fuzzy and joyful for me than cooking for my family at home. Yeah, I like that. How about collaborating with Chrissy Teigen or with Lee Schrager? You're like, where is she going with this? Hmm. Well, so both, it's funny. Adina comes up again because she's worked with both of us. That's those. where it comes from. Uh, <laughs> well, for, for people listening, Adina, uh, who we mentioned before, um, has now done cookbooks with Chrissy Teigen and Lee Schrager. And, and me. And you. So <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking, I would think, you collaborate? I think or, Chrissy, you know, I'm going to pick Chrissy and I'm going to do it for my daughter, Isabella, who's 14, who would be like, I would suddenly be the coolest mom ever when, you know, it's hard to be a cool mom for a 14 year old. And I would at least get like five minutes of being cool for my daughter. So okay. I pick Chrissy. <laughs> okay. That's, that's a great answer. Two more cheese plate or dessert. Cheese plate. Manhattan or Brooklyn? So I'm a Queens girl, by oh, the way. I'm sorry. I grew up in Queens, we but I live in Manhattan. In. No, but I live in Manhattan, so I get the borough, you know, I get the... But I have to say Manhattan. I love living there, and um, I, lo- I love the whole city, so it's hard to it's hard to pick one of those. But uh, I guess I'll go with Manhattan. Okay. All right. Great. That's the game. <laughs> fun. Super fun and less scary than I thought it was going to oh, be. Oh, good. I don't mean to scare. <laughs> well, um, it's hard for me sometimes. So I know I don't believe in um, um, astrological signs that much, but I am a Libra, and uh, I always see both sides of everything, you know? There's good stuff on both ends. Yeah. Well, it's... Just, I- yeah, it's been it's been interesting playing the game with people because some people are very decisive, know exactly what they want, and some people get stuck in all of them. So, <laughs> I was in the middle, yeah. I guess, right? Yeah. No, you were good. I liked your answers. Okay. I mean, not like I'm judging or anything. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just so funny. I'm sitting. I mean, for people listening, I don't know if listeners can hear the music now, but wherever Bert is, and I feel like all of a sudden they're like they cranked it up. Oh, they're jamming. Yeah, they're yeah. jamming now. Yeah. So I don't know who's jamming. I don't know either. But that's the background. We now have background music so um for our industry news discussion so first article i had was on eater and it was titled tom colicchio will close craft bar after 50 percent rent hike you have until april 30th to go to the 15 year old casual restaurant this is by amanda clute and this is this is just a part of a, a few other closings that have happened recently which is sad news and and i know the industry were were you know it's it's 
it's sad I, or maybe it's it's just it's had its run but um you know tom was on my show recently and this is his you know more casual place craft bar and um you know it's he's closing because of a rent increase and it's been a neighborhood staple for a really long time um I don't know, Anita Lowe was another example with Anissa, which is announced its closing at the end of May, and that's been around for 17 years. So I think we're seeing this in New York City and with rent increases, and, and it's, I don't know, it's it's a, such a hard business. I know that from doing PR with restaurants. It's really hard, so. Yeah, and when you say, you know, Brooklyn or Manhattan, in that regard, it's just like so much less overhead to kind of open up a place and to be more adventurous in that way as a chef in Brooklyn or in Queens, Come, you know, I think um, that's one of the upsides of really starting a business there because, where when Kraft opened up, it wasn't such a hot neighborhood, as much of a hot right. neighborhood. And yeah. now it's like crazy. It is. I, yeah, where it is, right, the nomad area has just changed so much and or north of Union Square. And I don't know. Tom has other other thriving restaurants and that are saying yeah, we don't around. have to feel too bad yeah. for him or anything. We don't. <laughs> one, one point, though, I thought was interesting in here that he, he talked about... Yeah. He used to have an office space in a building, and he was talking about maybe doing, you could do a restaurant on the second floor if it was a good elevator. And I was thinking about how in Japan that is something that they do do, which is um, makes it challenging sometimes to find the restaurants because they're on the third floor of some building. And so I wonder if that is something we might I see in the future. That, I think you're really onto something there. And that you heard is, it here. Yes. <laughs> that is something. That's going to be happening. Okay. I, because people, I mean, people are try to even make their restaurants feel hidden, as it is, right? In some cases, or bars more, yeah. right? You try have to find it, you know, and that's cool. I think that's going to be happening. There's a um, Korean restaurant on 32nd Street in the top of a really high, like, office oh, tower. Right, I've been there. I love that place. I forget the name of Me it. Me too, but... It has great views, and... Um, but it's, and that's an example of how that could work. I mean, I think I think you're totally onto something. I think mark your words right now because okay, well, it's really Tom onto something, and I'm just citing it. But fair maybe enough. <laughs> he's onto and something. I'm not going to take mark yeah. his words. Okay, <laughs> on this show, you've heard it here, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. But um, yeah, there's still time to go to both these places if if anyone wants to wants to go. Um, the other article I had was was from earlier last week. Um, under good causes, so it was on Grub Street. More than 400 cafes nationwide will donate some of their weekend sales to ACLU, and this was by Chris Crowley. And first line said, "Call it Cordados for a cause." Cordados for a cause. So I mean, it's it's hard. My show is not a political show, but it's kind of hard to avoid. Uh, everything happening um, out there, and so this this is something uh, seeing action with um, with with these cafes that are contributing to the ACLU, which stands for American Civil Liberties Union, which is representing. Um, uh, I, I think they're working, it says, in the defense of refugees, families, and uh, American citizens to, you know, represent them, especially with the response to the travel ban go, yeah. going on. And but they historically represent you know, any kind of civil rights, frankly. Yeah. So whatever's happening, you know, they'll be addressing um, and making sure people get their civil rights. So it's not a politically uh, oriented... It, 
sometimes their causes don't even make necessarily liberal people happy, for example. I mean, it's all right. about yes. civil rights. Yes, so. I'm glad. Thank you for... for Civil for, liberties, yeah. For saying that. And I think it's this is had over 19 major coffee roasting companies. They're do- donating 5% of their sales. And so um, I think, you know, it's nice to see that businesses and people are taking action or uniting and just coming together to what they believe in and, and take it. So um, it's an interesting time we're in, <laughs> to say the least. It is indeed. <laughs> So that's 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 that news this week. We'll see we'll see what comes up uh, in in the weeks to come. And on that note, we're going to take another break and come back. I'm going to do my solo dining experience. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. This week, it's at Oatmeal's. Here's the rundown. The location, 120 West 3rd Street in the West Village, New York City. The concept, the world's first all-oatmeal cafe that puts a twist on an old-fashioned favorite. The owner, Sam Stevens, and that is a woman. Why did I go? Because I had been meaning to check out this place for a really long time, and warm oatmeal sounded like an ideal wintertime meal. So my experience. On a recent, very cold Saturday, I arrived at this cozy little cafe, which has counter service and a handful of seats. I studied the menu board, ordered, and waited a short, short minute for my food and drink, and took a seat by the window counter. What did I get? So I had a signature baby bear, which is what they call the small size, baby bear, mama bear, papa bear, it's cute. And I picked hot date oatmeal with dates, pecans, granola, peanut butter, and coffee, and and honey, sorry. I also had an iced coffee. I have no idea why I was great iced coffee on a cold day, but I was. My take, it was so yummy. It was sweet, delicious, great combination. I, I really loved it. The ambiance, it's a homey place. It's like a little nook. It's about a half floor up above street level and has a nice window up front where I sat. It's perfect for breakfast comfort food cravings. Interesting tidbit. Oatmeal has over 80 toppings to choose from, so you can create a custom bowl or you can choose one of their signature bowls. And they also have savory ones such as Indian spiced and bacon pumpkin. Personal fun fact. I typically eat Chobani yogurt in the morning with fruit for breakfast, so this was a nice change to have a little oatmeal. The cost. 
$7.75. That's not including tax or gratuity. Would I go back? For sure. The website is oatmealsny.com. Sounds good. It's good. Right up my alley. Yeah, I <laughs> figured you'd like it. And it's 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 been around for several years. And, yeah, it's been on oh. my... I should go to it's you know where Blue Note is on West Third. Yeah, sure. It's across the street, pretty oh, much. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it sounds good. Oh, so appealing probably to those college students who can't make themselves breakfast. Sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But did they have? Was it all oatmeal, like steel cut oatmeal, or were there different grain combinations with oatmeal? I think it's just one style of oatmeal that's steel cut. But I'm not. I'm not 100% sure. And there were also in little, like, there were, I think, oatmeal cookies. And there oh. were a few other snacks there. Cool. Um, yeah, I think I think it's worth checking out. And all the toppings I had, I mean, it was delicious. I thought it was tasty. And you went for breakfast? I was there for, like, a late breakfast oh. on the weekend. They're open straight through. They're not open for dinner, but I think they're open through, like... I don't, I don't know, like late afternoon. Because I think oatmeal would make a great like afternoon snack, like a small oatmeal with toppings. It's yeah. sort of, most people probably wouldn't think of it like that. It's an afternoon snack. But of course, you're, you're, you're always thinking. <laughs> I'm always you're thinking. Always I am. Yeah. I'm always like, what? Yeah. yeah. That's true. <laughs> New oh. ideas. Next book. <laughs> okay. So time for the final question. So next week, my guests are Matthew, Matthew Peters and Philip Tessier. They are from the Team USA that just won. They won the Bocuse d'Or competition in Lyon, France. And Matthew was the head chef, and Philip was the coach. And he also competed in 2015. He was the silver medal medalist. So um, I'm super excited to talk to them. Um, so, wow, Ellie, what would you like to ask great. them? So what I want to know is what are some small things, some easy things that a home cook can do that would like dramatically up their game when, for their for the meals that they put on the table. So, for example, for me, the like supreming an orange, supreming citrus, to me makes all the difference in make, turning like something into a really elegant kind of citrus salad or something. What, when you say supreming, so taking you... it out with a knife, uh-huh. you're taking each segment out okay. of this little skin. Uh huh. It's like supreming. So doing that or. Tossing pasta with the sauce for like 30 seconds or a minute in a pan before you, not just putting the sauce on top of the pasta as many home cooks would. That makes all the difference in terms of like upping your game for a pasta dinner. Or another one for me is if I'm using store-bought tortillas, just, just putting them on, you know, a grill and warming them before you put them out is like huge to me um, in terms of making it like a really good taco dinner as opposed to like a fine taco dinner. Right. <laughs> so I yeah. want to know their trick for maybe something, some kind of easy thing like that, easy trick, tip, technique to up a home cook's game, really. Um, That's a great question. We'll see what they have to let's say. Let's see. Because <laughs> they probably know some good techniques. <laughs> they probably have tons of tricks. I'm sure, like, you have tons of tricks. But, yeah, it's a little... I don't know cooking cooking well this is going to be interesting talk to them from cooking for a competition i was going to say cooking for at home versus cooking at a restaurant's different right and then i think cooking at for this competition is completely Probably different totally different i mean they 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 worked on it they trained for it for over a year it's like the olympics it's amazing yeah that's so. just amazing. And is that on, do you know if that's televised? I would love to watch it. I don't know. I Probably had seen, on. I saw just on social media some video clips that 
I mean, that people like Thomas Keller, you know, were taking there. But I didn't, I don't know if it's all, I don't know if it's filmed. It should be. Yeah, or maybe it takes too long. Like, maybe we would really find it boring, like, to watch chicken roasting or something. (laughs) Yeah, well, I will ask them that, too. (laughs) So, um, that's the show. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming out. I've just, I've... I've always been a fan of yours, and now that I've gotten to know you a bit over the years, and I just, I just, I, I think you're amazing, Thank and you. I wish you much continued success. Thank you. Um, I was going to mention, I forgot to, that you and I, we, we know each other from Les Dames, and Melanie is also a new member of, of Les Dames Escoffier. So, um, oh, cool. Yeah, so we have that, that oh, going on, that connection, excellent. which is cool. I look forward to meeting her and our next La Dame event, because they're always so much fun. Yes, yes, they are. So, well, thank you. Thank you. Um, my guest today has been Ellie Krieger. She is an RD nutritionist. She's the host and executive producer of the public television cooking series, Ellie's Real Good Food. She's also known for, when she was on the Food Network, Healthy Appetite, I'm sure... You've seen her face. Very familiar, friendly, beautiful face. Um, I, I was going to ask, on, on your Real Food, um, Real Good Food show, where can people watch? Okay, so it's on public television, and okay. so it depends on your local station. So if you go to elliesrealgoodfood.com, which is part of my website, elliekrieger.com, okay. but either one, uh, elliesrealgoodfood.com, and you can type in your zip code and, and your... And it, it prompts you to say which carrier you have, mm-hmm. and then it tells you exactly where and when it's airing. So the new season, it's still it's airing in reruns now, um, scattered throughout the country. And the new season, where it will be national again, you know, more prevalent, um, will be uh, starting in the fall. Awesome. And you can also follow Ellie on social media at Ellie underscore. Krieger, and you can follow me. I'm at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All in the Industry, at All Industry, and my Facebook page is All in the Industry, and my websites are BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. As a reminder, all of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes and on Stitcher. Thanks always to my engineer, Vitor. I'm Sherry Bayer. I will be back next Wednesday, same time, same place, with another live show. Till then, have a good week, and thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.